0: Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast from GP Strategies. In each episode, we'll interview industry
1: experts, exploring best practices and innovative insights to help you and your organization improve performance. Hello, and welcome to the Performance Matters Podcast. My name is Keith Keating, and I'll be your host for this special episode to celebrate Pride Month and have the honor to be joined by several of my GP Strategies colleagues, but, a quick history check before we begin. What is Pride Month? For many years, the month of June has been celebrated around the world as Pride Month, starting originally to commemorate the Stonewall riots of 1969, where members of the LGBTQ community in New York City, and particularly those of color, fought back against police harassment. The Stonewall Riots really mark the beginning of greater political activism and change. And the truth is that if it wasn't for this event, we may not have many of the freedoms that we have today. Part of that is being able to have a work podcast episode dedicated to our community. It's both an honor and a privilege for us to be able to speak freely today about being a part of the LGBTQ plus community when many around the world still cannot. Today, I'm hosting this episode on behalf of the GP Strategies LGBTQ Plus Employee Resource Group, and also as a gay man. I'm joined today by three fantastic colleagues, April Hennessy, Brendan Wilk, and Charlie Larson. Let's do a quick round of introductions. Charlie, I'd like to start with you. Can you take a minute and introduce yourself to our listeners?
0: Thanks, Keith. Hi, my name's Charlie. My pronouns are they, them. I use gender-neutral pronouns, and I identify as non-binary. I'm a video project manager at GP Strategies, and I'm also a photographer and I really like Doctor Who. That's a fun fact relevant to everything.
1: And building on that fun fact, you are actually one of the driving forces for me understanding more about pronouns and using pronouns in my signature file and on LinkedIn. Do you want to share a little bit about the importance of pronouns?
0: Yeah. So pronouns are the most common way that we refer to ourselves and other people other than using our name. So I like to introduce myself with my pronouns to let people know how to refer to me and also uh, to let them know that I will respect them, their names and their pronouns as well. And it creates a nice safe space when you're meeting someone or when you're just starting off a meeting.
1: And Like you said, it's about recognizing who you are and how you identify, not how someone else may see you or perceive you. Absolutely. Thanks, Charlie. Brendan, over to you.
2: Hi everybody, I'm Brendan Wilk, and my pronouns are he, him. I'm an operations project manager, a GP based out of the Troy, Michigan office. I identify as bisexual. I'm also a musician. I play clarinet, saxophone, and piano, and I also really love video games.
1: Clarinet, saxophone, and piano. Not at the same time, I assume.
2: No, I'm not that talented.
1: <laughs> but you are very talented, and I can say that as we do work on the same team. And it's, a well, great, thank you. it's yeah. great working with you. All right. Thanks, Brendan. April, please share a little bit about yourself for our listeners.
3: Hi, Keith. Thanks for having me. My name is April Hennessy. My pronouns are she, her. I identify as a cisgender woman, and I'm a lesbian. And at GP Strategies, I'm a digital learning specialist, and I work in the innovation team delivering digital learning to clients across the globe. And I love it a lot.
1: And you also have quite a busy life outside of GP.
3: I do. So I'm a mom to three kids. I have two bonus kids and one bio kid. Um, My wife is an archeologist, so that keeps us pretty busy. And I was recently elected to our school board in the district here in Bloomington.
1: That's like three full-time jobs.
3: It is pretty full for
1: sure. Well, thank you all for being here today. So as we're celebrating Pride Month, I want to start with understanding what does pride mean to you? And I think what's interesting about what we're going to be talking about today is we all, although we may be in the same community, we all have different points of view and different experiences. And that's really what I hope our listeners can learn today about is about our unique experiences. So April, I want to start with you. What does pride mean? To you?
3: Well, to me, I think it's just about being able to be my most authentic self in all of the spaces in my life. I've definitely had some experiences where I wasn't able to really be my authentic self. And so being able to celebrate pride and bring my whole self to the table when I'm engaging is, is really, really important to me. And it's one of the things I'm really not willing to compromise on anymore. So I am very out. I'm, I'm proud of my family and my life. And so I'm, I'm really glad that we have some time to be able to showcase that and really focus on that.
1: Yeah. I love that you're, For you, pride is about your authentic self. I can relate to that a lot. But you you said that you're not going to deny yourself that anymore. So that says to me that there was maybe a time that you didn't bring your authentic self to work.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think there have definitely been times, not really at GP Strategies. I've always been very fortunate here. And I feel like I've been able to be my most authentic self always at GP, which is great. But in other jobs and other places, I've definitely felt like I had to sort of be in the closet in certain realms. And it's a really difficult spot to be in when you can't really talk about your family or you can't really talk about, you know, really important pieces of your life. That becomes really complicated really quickly.
1: And I think it's important to have an organization that does stand behind you to create that type of culture so that you can do that and know that, that they're going to support you. Absolutely. Charlie, what does pride mean to you?
0: For me, pride is all about learning about myself and learning to love myself and being able to say that this is who I am and who I am is beautiful. And I've come a really long way to be able to say that. And I'm proud of myself for making it here in my journey. And we're all at different points in our journeys. And this is where I am and I'm finally happy.
1: Well, I have to say that on a personal level i'm really proud of you as well for your journey at gp that a number of us have been able to go along with you in your transition and your coming out which we'll talk about in a little bit but what you just said reminded me of a song that i love and probably listen to once a week this is me from the greatest showman uh, soundtrack so if you're not familiar with that song definitely listen to it look up the lyrics because that's what it's about is is basically loving yourself and just saying, This is me, this is who I am, and I'm gonna accept me and you should too. Yeah.
0: For me, my um a song that really resonates with my identity is Bird You Can Fly by Imer. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but this singer, songwriter, content creator on YouTube. And they are also non-binary and just every one of their songs just hits me right in the heart. <laughs>
1: And the name was Bird You Can Fly?
0: Uh, Yep,
2: that's the song.
1: And Brendan, what does pride mean to you?
2: To me, pride means celebrating all the positive impact that LGBTQ people have had in the world and how much history, not just us, but other groups of marginalized people have had to endure, you know, not forgetting the hardships and the sacrifices of the community and thinking about, you know, how despite there being so much progress how there really is so much still left to go I also think about myself my family and my friends that are LGbtq plus and just being able to celebrate just who we are in our fullest most authentic selves I just think it's truly amazing to you know be proud of ourselves
1: absolutely and it is a celebration. About our diversity, about our differences, for just being who we are. But I do want to reiterate, because this we, we do have a global audience, that not everyone in the world has this luxury and has this freedom to, to be able to say these things, to have these podcasts, to be out at work. And so we are very privileged with that. Absolutely. All right. So we've we basically identified that we are all part of the LGBTQ plus community, and part of that journey for us is coming out. And you know, many people don't realize that we often come out over and over and over again, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. So I want to hear a little bit about your stories for what it was like coming out for you and where you first learned about LGBTQ plus topics and resources. I had someone reach out to me recently whose son has recently come out to them and she asked, what, where do I send them to? Or, you know, what, what, what type of information is valid out there? And so I thought we'd take this opportunity to share a little bit about our experiences and then also what, where you started to first learn about them. So Charlie, I want to start with you. What was coming out like for you?
0: So coming out, I like to describe it as less of coming out of the closet and more being stuck in a revolving door because every situation I'm in, I have to decide, do I come out right now? Do I correct them? Like it could sidetrack things. You could get a negative reaction all sorts of stuff. The first time I came out in any capacity was in 2012. I had learned about a label on the internet called Asexual, and it just clicked immediately. I was reading about it on AVEN, Asexuality Visibility and Education Network, and as soon as I heard about it, (laughs) I just, I felt so euphoric. I knew there were other people out there like me. No one no one talked about this. I wasn't really in an environment where we talked about LGBT stuff at all. I knew that gay existed, but it was very much like suppressed in my mind, but I'd never heard this term asexual before. So I was really excited and I ran upstairs and I slid into my sister's bedroom in my socks, like in risky business, and I threw my hands in the air and I was like, I found my people. <laughs> I was so excited. And my sister was just looking at me, just totally nonplussed, deadpan. And I was like, I'm asexual. And she's like, Oh, I thought you were gonna say you're a lesbian. Well, I mean she wasn't wrong, but <laughs> but that's not that's not what I was experiencing at the moment. So that was my first my first coming out. And then my coming out experience following that was very different it was immediately after that i came out to my mother and i had a negative reaction from her and things just got worse and i shut everything down and eventually i came out again in 2017 when i left home after going to my first pride so that was my next big step in my journey and there's tons of others, because gender and orientations, they're all spectrums and all these different events and realizations and things you go through. But coming out at work, I'm privileged to say was a generally good experience. So this was June 2020. And June 19th, I believe I got some Bad news about having healthcare protections protection stripped from transgender individuals. And when I was talking about it with two of my best friends, I learned that they had not realized I was trans, even though I was out socially for a little while. And I had a really negative, um, mixed reactions, but generally negative because they supported that decision for me to... Not have rights to healthcare. And so the next day, I was still upset and I went into work. And even with a mask on, my coworkers could tell I was deeply upset and crying and just really not at my best. And so eventually they got through to me and I told them what happened. And they were all overwhelmingly accepting. And I was really happy to have that experience, even though it was sort of an accidental coming out. Because I hadn't planned to. (laughs) Just like coming out before that at work when I had a girlfriend was an accident as well because she came to work and met my boss. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay, well, that went well. Uh, Let's never talk about that again. Yeah, but that was on June 20th, that very same day in the morning. There was the ruling that we can't be fired or discriminated against for... Um, being LGBTQ+. plus. So that was really great timing for me because that took all that stress off. Not that I necessarily thought I was going to lose my job or anything. But it's, you know, when you have all all this life experience of discrimination, even though your brain is telling you they're not going to fire you, they're not going to hate you, all that internal homophobia is still in there nagging at you. So I was really glad to have that experience. And Actually, later that day, I believe one of those coworkers came up to me and said, "Hey, I noticed your name on social media has changed to Charlie now. Do you want me to call you Charlie?" And that sort of proactive allyship just got me crying all over again. I I'd, I'd never had that level of acceptance in my life, so it was it was a good experience coming out of work.
1: And fast forward, it's almost a year. What's the What's the last year been like for you at work after coming out?
0: People adjusted to my name really well. I was surprised. I thought people would adjust to my pronouns. Last year, I also told people I go by gender neutral, they, them pronouns. And I thought they would adjust to that better than a whole different name. But it was actually the opposite. People almost always get my name right. But... A lot of people still really struggle with my pronouns, which I found really interesting. But yeah.
1: You've helped. You helped me. You've helped the ERG recognize the importance of pronouns. And I know GP as an organization has supported that. But I also want to give credit to GP because I remember when you and I first talked in June about wanting to change your name, we were able to get that changed in email and all the systems in about three days. And that made me so proud to be a part of an organization that would, that was willing to, to do that so quickly because I, I know of a number of organizations that, that require a lot of paperwork and red tape to go through, to be able to make those changes.
0: Yeah, that was, that was absolutely amazing. I was not expecting that at all. And it turned out to be really important to me because I didn't quite realize at first how much being called my correct name was going to affect me until people started calling me Charlie. And then I realized how awful it was before, <laughs> but i just gotten used to it. Yeah, so that was amazing. And I still, of course, it would be ideal to change my name legally. I'm still working through that process. It takes a while. So I'm really glad that GP was able to correct my name as it shows up in email and in Teams.
1: And I'm glad that you continue to have a supportive team Thanks, Charlie, for sharing Mm -hmm. your coming out story. April, what was it like for you?
3: Coming out was an interesting thing for me. I, (laughs) you know, I grew up in a really super religious sort of fundamentalist home. It was quite the ordeal. I mean, I am sorry to say that, unfortunately, it was one of those stories that you hear about. And it didn't go well, you know, and the thing is, like, before I ever even came out, My mom had already sort of started to suspect, I think, just based on some conversations we'd had and, you know, some of my relationships with people made her nervous. There were a variety of other things, but essentially my parents ended up kind of sending me to a conversion camp where I spent 16 months in high school. I think like December of my sophomore year and then I got out right before my senior year. And I guess the ironic part is that they basically lock you in this place with a bunch of other females, right? So that's kind of funny. But (laughs) in effort to like reform you. So (laughs) that's a whole other story. But like the, the purpose though is to reform you to be this like upstanding Christian girl so that you can go ahead and get married and be a good Christian wife. Well, you know, I think I'm a good wife, but not in the sense that probably my parents anticipated so you know it didn't work but it it did sort of scare it scared me for a while and so i didn't come out until after i had graduated from high school and i left home my parents and i kind of had a falling out as you might expect And so I was kind of aimless for a little while and I finally did come out, but it was from hundreds of miles away over the phone to my mom, just in case they got some bright idea to uh, send me to some other kind of conversion camp or, you know, like there were all these organizations out there at the time who were talking about how to, and this is just the quote, but pray the gay away, right? So... It was a long process for my, for my family. My parents didn't meet my partner until we had been together for like 10 years. When they finally did, they loved her and they loved our family. they you know loved my son. but it was a really long and painful process. I have tried to use my life and my story and my experience to ensure that other people, specifically other kids, other LGBTQ plus kids, know that there are safe spaces for them to sort of be an ally for them, a resource for them. You know, that's been a really meaningful part of my life. I think having come from my
1: own roots. I think it says a lot about your character, too, though, that you are able to forgive them or be on the journey to forgiveness to invite them into your life.
3: Yeah, that was a really, really hard thing. And there were definitely some ground rules, you know, for my parents, you know, I, I it just they needed to understand that if they wanted to have me in their life, then they had to accept my family as it was without any conditions, because I just wasn't willing to put my my partner, but especially my child in a position where he felt like somehow his family was less than someone else's family. So, yeah, it was a it was a really long process. And uh, took a lot of work on both of our parts, I guess. But I, I'm glad that we were able to get there before my mom passed away. So we had a couple of years together where we sort of began to mend those fences, and I think that was really important and healing for me.
1: And not everybody has that opportunity where the families do come around, and you're able to meet somewhere in that that neutral, hopefully solid ground.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean. I do feel fortunate in that way. I wish that perhaps it had happened sooner, we'd had more time, but the fact that it happened and that we got there, I think is huge and some people never do. I mean, they 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 move through life sort of with their found families and their friends and, and their the families that they make and sometimes don't ever have that healing point with their families of origin, which, you know, I totally get. And it's it's also a really hard thing, I think.
1: This is a really hard conversation to have because I want to continue. I mean, you just shared that you basically spent 16 months in a conversion camp. And there's so many questions. We could unpack that for a couple of hours. Yeah, for sure. And I feel bad saying, okay, thanks for sharing next. But (laughs) I do want to keep the conversation going so we can get as much of a broad topic, at least sort of have those seeds planted for our listeners. So April, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. Yeah. Brendan, what was your coming out story like?
2: So I was raised Catholic and I was pretty active in my church growing up. My parish wasn't really like explicit about LGBTQ plus topics. Uh, They're always just like danced around where it wasn't just ever talked about explicitly. But thankfully I have supportive parents who educated me enough before learning more about LGBTQ history in high school courses and then eventually college. I always knew that I had liked girls. Most painful was my first heartbreak in the ninth grade. (laughs) But I started questioning my sexuality when I was in high school. And I definitely suppressed my feelings and thoughts, kind of like, eh, that's a problem for later. So eventually I addressed it later, and the coming out process started when I was in college back in 2015. I was in a leadership role in the marching band at Central Michigan University, and at the same time, I was exploring my sexuality and who I was. And there was someone in the band who actually outed me to everybody before I could even voice who I was to myself. It was almost like an act of revenge because I got the leadership position that she didn't. And she told everybody I was gay. I was like, wait, slow down. That's not even true. Like I'm bi and I'm still trying to figure it out that I'm bi, but hey, I'm bi, get it right. And to me, it was just like a gossip point about the person in charge, which sucked. But thankfully for the most part, everyone at CMU around me was super supportive um, in the marching band, in the honors program, in my fraternity. very blessed that i had a support system at college it was that winter break of that same year i came out to my parents and my brother shortly after and it started off where it was hard but thankfully all of them came around and I was always able to be open around them and you know going back to college after that I was open about my sexuality so it started to feel a lot more natural talking about it casually. I think a huge factor in that is actually my fiance, who I've been with since November 2016. She's been a huge part of that journey. When we first started dating I told her out front I was bi and since then she's been my my biggest cheerleader and the best supporter and ally, and I just can't thank her enough. Eventually, just randomly in the last year, I felt comfortable enough to make the the typical coming out post on Facebook, um, which was for my acquaintances from high school and my hometown, family, friends, that I just had never expressed publicly. So that was my first major public coming out. And, you know, it went super well. And I'm thankful to have had so much support from my family and friends in the process. Since I'm closer to being fresh out of college, both employers that I've had since I graduated have been super open and supportive of the LGBT community. So I actually like, I think it was during an ERG meeting, I just like casually mentioned it in at one of the meetings. And I just realized like, Oh snap, I just came out at work. I didn't even think about it. I just kind of did it. And everyone was so supportive and it was both like heartwarming and hilarious. Cause I just kind of did it without thinking. And there it was.
1: <laughs> it's funny. I remember that specific moment because you, I think that you were first and it triggered, I think two other people to do the same. So, you know, I'm so, pleased and, and honored to be a part of the the ERG community at GP because we do have a safe space and it's great to see that people are feeling comfortable enough to share these you know monumental moments with us and each other.
2: I agree. I mean, it's really hard when you join an organization to like get a good feel for a lot of those little nuances that come up later. But that meeting was like within like I think two or three weeks of me being hired. And like, I had already felt comfortable enough to just share that part about myself. And I think that, I think that speaks a lot about GP and our account and, you know, the people that I work with that I just felt right at home. And that just means the world to me.
1: Absolutely. I want to dig a little deeper for a minute because I think you recently got engaged. I did. So what is that like with a partner and coming out to them?
2: Well at first I was I was very nervous when I first started dating Karina. I didn't know exactly when I should do it. I think it was one of our like first few dates. I just ended up like saying like screw it, I'm going to tell her. I I think I literally like slammed a shot of alcohol before I did. But she was like, "Okay, cool." And I was like, "Really? That's it? Like you don't have anything else to say about it?" And I think the reason why I was so afraid of what she said was when I was you know exploring dating at the time I would hear a lot about you know just some of like the negative stereotypes about being bi from both heterosexual women and gay men that I went in expecting like it to be harder than I did and she like she was an ally right off the bat and she's been my biggest ally and you know going through life with her enough to the point where I you know decided I wanted to take that leap of faith and ask her to marry me. Like there is nobody else that I want to have as my biggest ally. And we can't wait to attend pride events together and, you know, teach our future children about what it means to be LGBTQ and just really, you know, keep pushing that positivity forward.
1: That's great to hear. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. All right. So we've talked about pride being about recognition, about being seen, but sometimes that can have a negative outcome. And we experience that as discrimination or as bigotry. So I'd like to take a minute and talk about or ask you if you've ever experienced any di- discrimination and, and tell a little bit about what that is in terms of how you identify or how someone else may have seen you. So, Charlie, I want to start with you. Have you ever experienced any discrimination as, uh, as a result of how you identify?
0: Nope, never. Not once in my life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much every day in any situation you can think of at home, at work, at parties, on the phone, at the doctor's, going out to like if I buy alcohol and I get carded, having my picture not match and even just going out to bring in the trash cans. I'll sometimes get things yelled at me from passing cars. So
1: what, and what, what do they yell if you don't mind? Flares. Okay. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Just your, your basic
1: slurs. What does that feel like?
0: Yeah. I don't know. I I mean, it doesn't feel good. And there's a part of me that, that is so used to it, but that only makes it worse. And mis- being misgendered specifically is like death by a thousand cuts is a very apt description. It just eats away at you, sometimes it will distract you so much that you're kind of out of it for maybe the whole day depends on the situation. And not only does that eat away at like productivity at work, but it also can be harmful and detrimental to mental health and relationships as well. If someone doesn't respect, respect you for who you are, that's just how, how are you supposed to have a relationship with that person? You know,
1: how do you manage it?
0: It's sort of a case by case basis. If it's like someone in a grocery store just says, "Excuse me, miss," or something, I I can just let that slide. I don't I just let it roll off my back for me in my situation, a lot of times I can just that doesn't really get to me. But if it's coming from a family member or a friend or they're saying They think it's easier if I don't have equal rights or they're calling me by my dead name, which is a term used by the trans community and others to refer to a former name before transitioning. So I'll have people calling me by my dead name even after I ask them not to or I come out to them. So in some situations, if someone uses the wrong pronoun for me, I will correct them. And I've gotten better at that for the first eight months or so, I didn't really correct people. I was always too nervous about it, about how they would react, if they would be mad at me, or if they would go on a rant about how they think it's wrong that I use singular they-them pronouns, or that it's wrong that transgender people exist, things like that. There there are any number of reactions, and I've, I've had pretty much all of them. But some people, I... still maintain relationships with on some level and some people I've gone no contact with, like several of my family members. I don't talk to anyone in my nuclear family, so my closest traditional family members I don't talk to any of them at all. My grandparents and my aunts and uncles and cousins, they're all super supportive. But for me, my family, my family is my found family. So for me, family is who you choose and who chooses you back. So that's really where I am at the end of the day is, do I need to have a relationship with this person? Do I want to? Is this healthy? And then for issues of misgendering or hate, is it a passing car, a person in a grocery store just... You know they're going to be gone in a minute, or is this something where I want to bring it up? And is it safe to bring it up? Because you have to put your own safety and well-being first.
1: I really like your point about family is who you choose. We we do get to choose our family, and most and a lot of LGBTQ plus people who identify do have to choose a new family and find the new family because many are ostracized or leave their family for lack of support or discrimination, like what you're talking about. And family is who we choose. Thanks, Charlie. April, have you ever experienced discrimination? Yeah,
3: sure. I mean, a lot of the things that Charlie said.
1: Well, now, as soon as I asked that question, I'm like, well, yes, I just spent 16 months in a (laughs) camp. So yeah, maybe
3: maybe just a little bit, you know, but no, I mean, you know, I think Charlie earlier, you said coming out is like a revolving door. It's absolutely like that. I've also said, you know, once I came out of the closet, I was then I've spent the rest of my life coming out of other people's closets, because it's the closets that they put you in, right? So it's always like, so who's your, you know, is your son's dad tall? Or what does your husband do? Or, you know, I mean, it's just these kinds of things that, come up in everyday conversation that people don't, they don't necessarily mean anything by them. And so a lot of times I do have to decide, you know, is it a stranger? Is it a passing conversation? Is my son there? You know, and so those kinds of things will determine how I respond and whether or not I kind of just let things go or if I address them, if it, you know, is something being yelled at me for some reason across the street or, you know, it just where you are, context matters. But it is hard because, it does feel like even once you're out, you know, in all of these other spaces that you enter into, you have to do it all over again. And I think that's part of the reason why it's so important to use pronouns when you introduce yourself or to use neutral lang- language that doesn't say husband or wife, but can say partner or companion or family or whatever it might be, right? There's just other words that we can use that make our spaces more inclusive so that these things don't happen to the people around us and that we don't accidentally do that to the other people around us too. Because just because we are part of the LGBTQ plus community doesn't mean that we can't also misgender, make mistakes and speak in ways that aren't always inclusive. And so I think... Probably because of the fact that I've been discriminated against, I'm always checking myself. And, you know, when I get it wrong, I try to make it right. And I, I say, oh, sorry, you know, I meant they or I'm so sorry. If I, I do, I will say my in my own family. So my ex is remarried and her stepkid is trans. And so we've all gone through this process with them of moving to they, them pronouns, and then eventually to he, him pronouns, and making that adjustment. And it's been kind of a really cool thing, I think, to see what that can look like when a family really is committed to being inclusive and welcoming and allowing someone to really be whoever they are and want to be. And it's so different from the way that I was brought up. And so, I don't know, that just brings me a lot of joy.
1: You know, you briefly touched on something I want to expand on for a minute. And you uh, were alluding to discrimination, not just being outside of the community. Mm -hmm. And many people may not be aware of this, but, you know, we, we say LGBTQ plus community, but I'm not necessarily comfortable with people thinking that it is some great community where we are all inclusive of each other because we are, I think that this community is some of the most exclusive individuals, it, it's hard. Yeah. It's a hard community to be a part <laughs> of. I mean, because discrimination is not just externally. We discriminate right? amongst ourselves all the time.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep. And we have within our ranks, we have transphobic individuals. We have people who aren't really willing to use different pronouns or aren't really willing to open up what these categories mean to them or they sort of say like oh well why are we adding more letters to this thing like why does it matter like it's just this this and this so i do think that there's still a lot of discrimination within a community and like any community right we it's it's not <laughs> it's not like a singular thing and we all get along and it's all great. <laughs> yeah. It, it's just.
1: <laughs> even during pride, everything <laughs> is seg pride. It's segregated completely. Yes.
3: yes. And then let's not, I mean, that doesn't even begin to get at the, the issues of intersectionality. Right. So I think we have lots of issues just like any community. And so being a part of expanding those conversations, opening them up, and then also, you know, checking ourselves, I think is really, really important.
1: And it's I think that we have a lot to to do a lot of work to do within our own community. Uh, And I think that there's still a long way to go. In fact, in some cases, to me, it feels like we continue to get further divided all of the time. I mean, I mean, listeners may not know, but traditionally, there are gay bars for men, There are lesbian bars for women and there are bars for transgender. And, you know, the, yes, there may be some cross pollination, if you will, but for the most part, it's extremely segregated.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the benefit of, or the beauty, I guess, of being in a small town is that there's not a lot of, we just have one gay bar here. It's called the back door and it's this like amazing, lovely place. And Everyone goes there because it's the only like queer bar in town. Right. But you're right. In most cities, they are still very segregated.
1: I think we even have during pride parades, you have the gay parade, you have the lesbian parade, you have the transgender (laughs) parade. We're not really all in even one parade.
2: (laughs)
3: Maybe not, or maybe we're just marching all separately in our own sections of the parade sometimes, but, but yeah, I mean, it can be really divisive and really segregated sometimes. And gosh, it is really just annoying and problematic sometimes.
1: And it's, it's hurtful. I mean, you know, when we, you, when you've already been ostracized by your family, by mm-hmm. society, then you think, okay, I, f- I found maybe a label I identify with and I, and there's this group that's going to accept me. And, you know, with open arms and we're going to live happily ever after and marching parades in June and it just doesn't work like that.
3: <laughs> no, it really doesn't. But I wish it would. I mean, just imagine. But yeah, we've got work to do for sure.
1: Brendan, what is the LGBTQ event that impacted you the most
2: I'd say for me, the event that impacted me the most was the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando in 2016. It affected me deeply a lot because it was shortly after I came out to my parents and I had just started to become more comfortable dating men alongside women. It definitely scared me because, one, that could have happened at any club in the country. I mean, knowing America's infuriating history with mass shootings but for also a targeted attack like that against the LGBTQ community, it just it hit me a little bit harder. And same with the Hispanic community, so many victims being Hispanic and just seeing so many victims of various ages. It just, it stung me so bad and it still stings when I think about how horrific it truly was.
1: Yeah, it, um, I lost four friends in the shooting. I, I used to dance there actually. So oh. it was, uh also hit home for me as well.
2: I'm so sorry. My condolences.
1: Charlie, how about you? What uh, What LGBTQ plus event impacted you the most?
0: For me, it would have to be uh, the first Pride I went to in 2017 that really I think the best comparison I can make is like when I first got my first pair of glasses and I could see leaves in the trees for the first time in my life. And I was just like, my whole world be changed. I was like, you can see leaves? What? I've been missing out on leaves this whole time. That's that's kind of how it felt going to my first pride. A little different, but that same sort of just wow. And I felt like I never wanted to leave, and I'd never had that sense of belonging. And the first pride I went to was in Ferndale, so it wasn't like a parade. March sort of pride. It was more like a festival with like tents and booths and stuff and some stages with music. And I really liked the vibe of that pride, but it felt like a smaller community. And I knew, I, I know, I know Julia Music who runs Ferndale Pride. And so I had a personal, personal connection as well. And I got to see other people who were like me, except for they were out. Yeah. <laughs> And they were happy, at least in that space. Everyone, you know, was, was out and happy and wearing all the colors and whatever they felt most comfortable in, which was quite varied. You, you can wear whatever you want to pride and having all these booths with different terms I'd never heard of and information and people who were there to be welcoming. And to provide information and resources and to be that, you know, that person you can walk up to and say, hey, I think this might be me. Or can you tell me more about this? I'm so glad I went, even though (laughs) things kind of got crazy when my mother found out and I was forbidden from going to Pride again and all this terrible drama that lasted a while and was very hard on me. But I still count that as a really positive experience because if it weren't for that sort of catalyst of going there and seeing what I was missing out on, I would not be where I am today.
1: That's such an important reminder of why the visibility for all of us is important. Why this type of podcast is important. Employee resource groups are important. Uh, in Hollywood, and the media, having people out so that we can visibly see representations of ourselves.
0: Absolutely. So important because for a lot of people, they don't have exposure to all these things. And so if they see that, then they might go, Hey, uh, that resonates with me. That sounds like me. And then they can go on the internet, look it up. And maybe they found a term that helps them understand themselves and find other people like them and have a sense of belonging and knowing that they aren't alone.
1: April, what type of tools or support is available for either someone who identifies as LGBTQ plus or allies? I want to just kind of pivot a little bit and make this maybe somewhat educational for where other people can go for resources if they're wanting to learn more either about themselves or about how to be an ally.
3: Well... This is not an easy question to answer and it's incredibly easy at the same time because the internet is full of all kinds of information these days. I remember back in the whenever's like the 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, basically you had chat rooms <laughs> which were not super great sources of information always and were not always super safe places to be, but I do think that there are a host of resources out there available to individuals as they're coming out and I think even many school districts at this point, not all, recognizing that, and I'm speaking largely of the United States at this point because I recognize that across the globe, this looks very differently depending on where you are. But, you know, for instance, in our school district, we have LGBTQ plus support groups for students. They're student-led groups largely with faculty sponsors. We have groups in town that provide support both like at the community level and at the university level. The university, in fact, here, and I'm sure it's this way in many places, has an LGBTQ plus counseling center. So devoted just to those issues with individuals who both are queer affirming and also understand the issues that are going to come through the door. So I think there are so many things out there for people. It's just a matter of finding them and and sort of being in touch. And even when they're out there, I think sometimes your biggest resource is just another person. Sometimes, you know, I've I've had people come to me and say, I don't know where to start. You know, I don't, I think I need counseling or I think I need therapy or I think I need this, but I don't really know where to go or how to start. And so sometimes you just need someone to walk you through that process. So I think other people can be a huge support. And so that's another point of visibility. I think that's so important. When we're visible, people know, oh, okay, this is a person I can talk to who's safer. This is a person that I can go to if I have a question. And that in and of itself can be, you know, such a huge gift to someone who's kind of wading through those waters for the first time on their own.
1: And I think at work, employee resource groups are a great way to find out who those individuals are or to just join and listen and see -hmm. if there's someone you connect with and reach out to them on an individual basis. And I know that all of us on this call would be more than happy to support anybody listening who is looking for someone to talk to. And look for looking for more resources or just hearing about experiences or just someone to listen. Charlie, you are a wealth of information when it comes to any type of resources. What are some of the resources that you would recommend or and resources that you've used that you found valuable?
0: I know that resources will vary based on what country you're in, but the internet is available to most Most people, most areas, I would say. So, the internet is a really valuable resource, but of course, search engines can be tailored based on previous searches and things like that. So, that's just something to be conscious of. If I typed in what is transgender into Google, and mine would probably come up with a resource like the Trevor Project, which is out there to help transgender youth and has a chat and a coming out handbook and all sorts of great things. But if another person who shall remain nameless were to Google transgender, they would get a website like churchmilitant.com. And I've been sent things from that website. So that's just something to be really conscious of when you're doing your research online. If you're reading a resource, be conscious of who's creating that resource. And if they're quoting science or something are they linking to peer reviewed medical journals or are they just quoting quote science things like that but yeah some great resources are the Trevor Project uh they have a helpline with phone chat text and support and that's really a lifeline for a lot of transgender youth there's also GLAAD, G-L-A-A-D and HRC as well those are great resources and then there's also just a wealth of LGBTQ plus content and content creators online, like Adesso Lorenzo, who has a Discord server to help queer youth who don't have accepting parents specifically, but they also have free videos that are hilarious and informative. Jackson Bird, a uh, trans guy, I've read his book, Sorted, and he also has a three-minute video on pronouns that is my go-to resource whenever someone asks me about mine and they don't, they don't quite get it or they want some more information to help out. Uh, great resource. Ash Hardell, Kira Graves. There's tons of them out there. And those all the, all the people I mentioned I would recommend.
1: For and sure. PFLAG is another group that focuses on parents, so providing support for parents who have children who identify as LGBTQ+. When we started, we were talking about what does pride mean? And April talked about being her authentic self. Charlie talked about learning about and learning to love myself and being proud of myself. And Brendan said, this is about celebrating the positive impact of the LGBTQ plus community. So I want to wrap up today by focusing on that positive impact. And so specifically, I'd like to ask each of you, What LGBTQ person do you admire the most and why? And Brendan, I'm going to start with you.
2: So mine is a tough tie. Both musicians between Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. Obviously, Under Pressure is like my favorite song. Mostly because of how they didn't really take it from the press when they were talking about their sexualities. Uh, Bowie especially, he always would reaffirm things like, no, I am bisexual. That's who I am. When so many reporters and paparazzi and even talk show hosts would just constantly berate him, tell him how he was gay. Like I can definitely empathize with that. So seeing such a fantastic artist um, and such an inspiring person, just kind of telling the haters to shove it has just been something that I look up to also just with Freddie with, you know, just how groundbreaking he was. And I'm obviously a big queen fan. It's Definitely good to see how much progress has been made for our community since the 1980s, when both of them were at their peak. And just thinking about how inspirational they've been to so many people like me. I just love having those musicians that I can look up to.
1: Yeah, they're definitely brilliant musicians. Thanks, Brendan. Charlie, how about you?
0: Uh, This is such a tough question because... I didn't. I didn't learn about any LGBT history in school, and in a way, we're the keepers of our own history, which is beautiful because we get all these different stories and perspectives instead of you know like one whitewashed textbook. But that also means that there's so much more, and there's so many more people I have yet to learn about, and I'm still learning every day. (laughs) Every day's a learning day, but. For today, I'm going to go with Sylvia Rivera. She was just 17 during the Stonewall riots and she founded the Gay Liberation Front alongside Marcia Payet, Noma and Johnson. And something that really stands out for me with her is that she stood her ground when the, like we were talking about earlier, the, the community is somewhat d- divisive and she stood her ground even when the gay community shunned her for her emphasis on transgender issues and she's worked tirelessly for a more inclusive and intersectional approach to lgbtq plus activism but there's there's so many other people i look forward to learning more about like lucy hicks anderson for example black trans woman and early advocate for marriage equality and i'm really excited to continue to learn about what i would consider my history because i i feel that the community The LGBTQ plus community is, is, is my family. So I'm sort of learning about that every day.
1: But you're right. We don't learn about this in school. I don't remember ever. I mean, there certainly wasn't a class, maybe, maybe in college now there, there is a class, but in undergraduate, there was no education on the history or the activists or visible people that we might recognize and celebrate
0: Yeah, I mean, they are, in the U.S. at least, they are starting to teach about LGBTQ plus issues and identities in some schools. So I think we're on the right track there. But there's still so much work to do, not just in the education system, but with legislation as well, like supporting the Equality Act. And you can contact HRC and ACLU to help support that and protect trans kids as well as several other minority groups included in the Equality Act.
1: Thank you, Charlie. April, what LGBTQ plus person do you most admire?
3: You know, it's not, I mean, I could list names and we could talk about individuals and I think there are so many people for sure, but I also just, I think, and I, I mean, it's in one way of measuring progress, right? But looking at so many of our our kids today and this particular generation of kids that I see growing up at this moment, I'm just sort of in awe of them. And I know that in many ways, we... And so many others before us have paved the way for them. But they're just sort of unwilling to back down. You know, I see these LGBTQ plus kids who are out there advocating for their rights, for others' rights. I see them sort of educating people, living their lives without any sort of hesitation or regret. And I mean, so much of the credit, I think, goes to some of their parents as well who who have enabled that and facilitated that in ways that many of us didn't have. So but yeah, I think, you know, and it part of it is like working with kids in the school district and having been a teacher. I see so many of them up close and personal. And I think I'm just really I'm I'm their biggest fans, honestly. Like watching them come to school every day and not really, they just don't, they don't care in some ways like and even when they do and even when it's hard they're resilient and they persist. And I think it's so cool to see, and I think it's a measure of our progress as a community, that we do have kids who are coming out as trans at earlier ages, who are coming out as lesbian or gay or bisexual or pansexual or, or asexual or whatever it is at earlier ages now than ever before. I think because even though we have a long way to go, we've come a long way too.
1: And I think going back to your original point about pride being the authentic self that's what I love about seeing younger generations truly being their authentic selves. And it it's it, it's so heartwarming at the same time I personally get a little envious especially <laughs> when I see the parents and mm-hmm. all of their support and I think what what could I have been like if I had that support? How would my life be different?
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, I think those things too and and it's hard not to think that and to wonder but you know, I'm I'm so glad that we are where we are and I'm really just I can't wait to see where we are again in another 100 years although I guess I'll be seeing it from my grave but you know.
1: <laughs> Who knows, you may be uploaded to some cloud somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> All right. With that, thank you so much, April, Brendan, Charlie, for joining us today and sharing about you and your experience. I know there's a lot of vulnerability that comes along with this type of discussion, and I personally appreciated it. I've learned from you today, and I know that our listeners will, too. And thank you to our listeners for taking the time to listen. The simple act of listening to us today demonstrates the meaning of Pride Month. You're acknowledging our existence, you're recognizing us, and you're helping us be seen and be heard. So please take a moment and celebrate either yourself or someone else this month. And thank you and happy Pride Month to all. The Performance Matters Podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies,
0: Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts and listen on our website at
3: gpstrategies.com podcasts.